Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. Thanks for joining us uh, to talk a little Pucks. Today I have 98.5's Ty Anderson with me, one of my longtime buddies up in the ninth floor at the press box. Uh, seen him grow into a, a media mogul here in Boston and become a TV guy, radio guy, writing guy, just, you know, following in, in the footsteps of what I've done also. And I'm uh, proud to call him a friend and a colleague. Uh, we're going to get to Ty in a minute. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to play some Mythbusters with some of the trade rumors and all the things that are uh, flirting around, floating around with the Bruins right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about our sponsors real quick. Uh, first of all, we have FanDuel. We're going to give them some love. Right now, new customers can go and get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And the other one that i got to give some love to is Factor Meals. Uh, number one, re- ready to, America's number one, ready-to-eat meal kit. And now we can bring in Ty Anderson. Ty, what's going on? How, how have you been doing uh, since the Bruins' uh, demise and the last time we talked to you? How are you keeping yourself busy? Uh, that's a really great question. I, I think that, <laughs> you know, it's probably easier for you having kids to, yes. to be like, all right, we're doing this today. There's been a lot of days where I have just been wandering around going, what am I doing today? And it didn't help that the Celtics got eliminated in the Eastern Conference Finals because that would have given me at least two more weeks of stuff to do. Uh, so so it's interesting. Right now, it's a lot of just kind of waiting and seeing what's going to happen with this summer because uh, it feels like it's going to be a crazy one for a lot of reasons, as you alluded to. Yeah, and you know, for me, like there was almost a, a sense of relief a little bit uh, when the Bruins did go out in the first round, because it was going to be a crazy couple of months with, uh, you know, my kids sports and activities and, you know, travel and everything else going on. So like, there was a part of me that was like, okay, things just got a lot easier for me. They were going to be pretty complicated, but on the other level, obviously you and I cover the Bruins. You want it to be as interesting for as long as possible. You know, you, you wanted to cover playoff games deep into it. I think, you know, I, and you had both, you know, earmarked, two months straight out until June that we were probably going to be covering hockey and covering the Bruins. And it was a, a stunning uh, development when they, they were done uh, at the beginning of May, but uh, you know, that moving on to the teams that made it and the team uh, that eliminated the Bruins, uh, the Florida Panthers uh, down to nothing right now to the Vegas golden Knights uh, in that Stanley cup final series. Uh, just what uh, have you thought of them falling down in the series and just your thoughts in general in the Stanley Cup finals? Well, it's been really interesting because, you know, I, I was kind of saying, can Bobrovsky do this for four full rounds, right? He hasn't been this guy all year. You can yeah. argue that he wasn't really that guy last year for prolonged stretches as well. So he hasn't really know, been that guy in Florida. Exactly. And then yeah. the wagon's falling off here. 120 minutes. He's given up what? It feels like 11 goals, I want to say. 10 or 11 goals, at least, it looks like. So, just doesn't have it, right? And, and that's a team that I think relies a lot on energy, physicality. And I thought it was sort of telling uh, in game two, they had Alex Petrangelo mic'd up. Alex Petrangelo, as we know, was part of that great Blues team that was physical, and they outwilled yep. the Bruins basically to a Stanley cup. But yep. I thought it was interesting that Petrangelo basically said, let them run around guys. We got our game. And I really think you're seeing a team that is not buying into the BS that Florida wants to do. And when they have an offense, that's as deep as they are, you know, they're finding ways, I think, to take Florida out of their game. And if they don't have that emotional engagement, they're not going to hang with this team. It just feels like right now they're scratching clawing and not getting the response they want. Yeah, when I watched that first round series go down with the Panthers and the Bruins, 
I did actively wonder while I was watching it, are the Florida Panthers going to be able to forecheck like their hair is on fire for two whole months in the Stanley Cup playoffs with with the energy and just the fierce tenacity they were playing with in the first round? I wondered if they were going to be able to sustain that for that long a time for like 60 days or whatever it was going to take to get there, because that's a really hard style to play and keep up through four grueling rounds of the playoffs, especially as you start to play better and better teams and a bigger defenseman core yeah. with the Vegas golden Knights that could withstand that physicality and maybe isn't going to hear the footsteps as much as some of the other teams started to do as you know, the pounding and the hitting and the forecheck sort of, you know, paid off dividends as the series were going on against teams. So, you know, that's part of it. I definitely think they've been running around a lot more against Vegas. Like some of it's on Bobrovsky. There's no question about it. But, like, just look at that play uh, in game two. Uh, the Panthers scored a goal in the third period, and it seemed like they might be starting to come back or at least get some momentum back. And then there's a play where the puck is against the sideboards, and there's literally four Vegas Golden Knights players, like, all crowded around the puck like they were peewee might hockey players, squirt players, like, all going right towards the puck. They left the wide uh, front of the net completely wide open. And uh, Marchessault gets a pass from Eichel right in front of the net, wide open. There's nobody anywhere close to the Florida net playing defense. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's been indicative of the running around that they've been doing in the D zone as well. And, you know, Kachuk piling up the misconducts and them, you know, blurring the line between, uh, you know, being instigators, being physical and losing their composure and going way over the top with that stuff too. And kind of losing control physicality wise. But like, I, I've been really just impressed with the Golden Knights. I've been impressed with Jack Eichel. Obviously, Petrangelo, as you said, brings the experience. Marcheseau has been outstanding. You know, uh, Aiden Hill has come out of nowhere. He makes that yeah. unbelievable uh, stick save uh, in, in game one. You know, I, I'm just impressed with Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights and what they've been able to do, kind of making a statement about how good they are, maybe when they were underrated over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. And I would say, you know, I'm happy you brought up the size of their defense because – Someone asked me, do you think the Panthers have a chance? And I said, nope, I think it's a five-game series. And someone and they asked me why. And I said, because Vegas, def- Vegas's defensemen are huge. The smallest yep. guy on their back end is six foot one. You know, yep. and it's Alec Martinez, who's not, he plays a lot bigger than six one, you know, yep. in my opinion. So you had that going for them. I think Eichel, watching Eichel the way he's played, I thought, especially in that Edmonton series, I was seeing more two-way, you know, prowess from Jack Eichel that I didn't know he had. Yep. I was really impressed the way they were utilizing him, the way he was basically erasing McDavid as best as one can, you know, in 2023, obviously an unbelievable player. So I think it's really impressive. You look at their team, right? Like they are, I think the best team, you know, it's still, still going. And I felt that way off the jump. I thought Dallas could maybe upset them. I did pick Dallas in the beginning. I had Boston Dallas way wrong on that. But, you know, I looked at it like <laughs> well, I had Colorado, Boston. I was way wrong on that, too. Right. You know, like, you know, it, it's funny, though, like Vegas has that mix of that you need, I think, in, in this day and age of the size, the yep. skill, the speed. You know, look at Ivan Barbashev. Look at the way he's been playing. I mean, this is a guy playing himself, made himself. Some massive money in the offseason with the way right. he's playing. He's probably going from 20 million to 30 million before we know it. You know, yep. like he, he's he's been fantastic for them. So. Yeah, and I think it's just a complete team. And I think what's interesting, you brought up Bruce Cassidy. I think what's interesting is that Vegas has a defense that loves to create, loves to take loves to take shots. And I'm watching Vegas, and I'm just thinking back to all those times that Bruce Cassidy said, we want more of a shot mentality from our back end. We want more offense from our back end. And it never really happened uh, under his tenure here. And it's like, maybe it was personnel and not, not strategy. Maybe he just didn't have the guys to do it like you're seeing right now with Vegas. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny, though. Some of it was personnel, and and with Bruce Cassidy, uh, you could tell at the end of last year when he still thought he was coming back to Boston how excited he was to potentially have a full year of Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy for the first time, and he was kind of licking his chops uh, at the thought of having another offensive defenseman that could you know play top minutes and create and do all the things he was sort of preaching uh, for them to do. Um, so he, d- he didn't get to realize that, but I, definitely some of it was personnel and, and the people that Cassidy was trying to coax uh, some offense out of for sure. But but I think the other part of it, there is a subtle, uh, I think, philosophy difference between Bruce Cassidy and Jim Montgomery, where Cassidy wanted a volume of shots. He wanted, you know, all kinds of shots at the net. He wanted them uh, just to you filter everything towards the net, you know, and, and just uh, it was a volume thing where you're creating rebounds, getting shots on net, whatever. Montgomery was not like that and has not been like that. And I think that was a subtle adjustment they made was hanging on to the puck quality over quantity with shots on net and creating better offensive chances in better areas rather than just like getting 40 shots on net a game and hoping for rebounds or tips or or things like that. So I think it was definitely a combination uh, of both. Um, But like, there's no doubt uh, he's getting results in Vegas and there are some that uh, he was not going to get results with in Boston if he had stuck around here as the head coach. Uh, And the other part of that with Cassidy that I find interesting is you know, Eichel's buying in right now, as you mentioned, playing great two-way hockey. Um, they had a powwow last year at the Cape or somewhere down on the South Shore to talk before the season started. And clearly Eichel is on the same page with Cassidy. Uh, is that going to stay that way after he wins a cup or a couple of years down the road? Is there going to be an issue between Eichel and Cassidy if Cassidy's like, you know, chirping him publicly or things like that? You know, that's the kind of stuff I guess to watch long-term in Vegas. But like selfishly, I liked Bruce Cassidy. You liked Bruce Cassidy. I'm happy for him having success. And, you know, you root for people sometimes in hockey. I'm certainly rooting for him to get his name on the cup and to have a good ending uh, this year. After almost a year ago to the day, uh, Don Sweeney went to his house in Winchester and told him he was no longer the coach of the Boston Bruins and really stunned him. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, you do want to see guys that you like and you were always good to you. You want to see them succeed, right? That's, that's life. And especially in the world of sports, I think. And, there's a lot of good stories, I, I think, on Vegas, you know, whether it's Cassie, whether it's Aiden Hill, whether it's Jack Eichel, a guy who, as of three years ago, we didn't know if he's going to play again. We didn't know if he was going to be the same player after after his surgery and what that was going to be like. So there's a lot of good stories there. But as it relates to the Cassidy versus the Bruins and all that, I think that both things can be true. I don't know how you feel, but like getting yeah. a new voice in there, getting a new coach in there. It felt like the Bruins had squeezed all they were going to out of Bruce Cassidy as the head coach's team. Some yep. guys either weren't happy or weren't progressing the way they wanted them to. You know, does Brandon Carlo have the year that he has? And I know he had a rough ending to the playoffs, but he had a pretty good series up until the end of it, I would say. Yes. You know, Trent Frederick had 17 goals. Jake DeBrus had a career year. Do those things happen with Bruce Cassidy as the coach? Probably not. Like, I, and so I think you can look at it and say that Cassie is still a great coach, but the Bruins did need some sort of change. And, you know, this is where you, this is where you landed. And right now it sucks for the Bruins, but I don't think that they are here right now. If Bruce Cassie was still the head coach of this team, they're not in the Stanley cup final. If Bruce is still the head coach, in my opinion. No. And, and Connor Clifton uh, was another guy that had a great season uh, this year. And he was another one that I think had a hard time with Bruce Cassidy. And I, I think you're, you know, exactly spot on. Um, that, you know, a change needed to be made. And, you know, you felt it. I was I was surprised when it first happened, but as you started to talk to people, 
you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks after the move was made, you started to understand maybe there were a lot of players that just did not want to hear that message anymore and, and needed a new voice. And it was fairly widespread, I think, in the dressing room. And it just speaks to like, you know, coaches being disposable in the NHL. Like after a few years, even the best coaches and the great coaches, like the message starts to get old and, and you do need to move on. It's it's more a rarity that you find somebody that has staying power for six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in one location in the NHL. And so let's move on. Okay, we want to tell you a little bit about FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. What do I like about FanDuel? Let me tell you. The app is incredible, super easy to use, very intuitive. It's safe, secure, and you get paid instantly when you win. There is no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. So go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. Once again, visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Now you must be 21 or older and present in Massachusetts to participate. A $10 initial deposit is required. Your first online bet must be a real money wager. The bonuses are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets when you get a refund on your $1,000 no-sweat first bet. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. To the Mythbusters, trade rumors part of our show. First, Ty, anything hockey-wise you want to get off your chest before we get into this that's been on your mind? You haven't had an outlet to you know, uh, talk about it or throw it out there. Yeah, I, I, I think that I would say that, you know, you look at sort of where the league is right now. You know, I think there's an idea that, you know, we fought for a long time about where the game is going. It's speed. It's speed. Like, and, and I think that, you know, I'm seeing more guys like Jonathan Marcheseau, guys like Rupe Hints. Um, yep. you, you know, you're watching these these burners, right? Like these absolute burners. And it's like if I was if I were scouting a team right now, if I were building my team. I'm taking a chance on the small winger with a ton of speed. And, and I think that it's really interesting that people kind of fought it for a long time. I think mm -hmm. now it's staring you in the face that, that this is the way the game is going. These kids are freaks, the way they move, the way they skate. I, like, so I think that now, you know, I love what Barry Trot said the other day, he's taken over in Nashville as a GM. He told his scouts, find me guys that have upside through the roof. Like find me guys yes. that can, that can light up the score sheet and get fans to the rink. I think yes. that now I think that everyone should look around and start to embrace the idea. You need that mix, but don't be afraid of the small skill, speedy wingers because man, they are bringing it this postseason. I think. I think you're absolutely right. Ty. I remember when Barry Trot said that I actually quote tweeted it, I think because it spoke to me as well when I heard that. And for me, this is, and I railed about this in 2016, this was the first round taking Trent Frederick, and I love Trent Frederick, he's a great guy, he's a Bruins-style player, like he's fit in really well, he had his best NHL season this past year, but taking Trent Frederick instead of Alex Debrinkit, a guy that was fast, skilled, 
had scored like 50 plus goals a couple of years in a row in, in the OHL was just a stud score that was like almost breaking records down there. And, and those guys, they, they tend to translate to the NHL. If they're putting up those ridiculous, obscene kind of numbers, they tend to be effective at least to, you know, a 30 goal level or somewhere in there at the NHL level. Uh, even though he's like five, seven, five, eight, whatever he is, he's obviously undersized, but in today's NHL, I think, especially in the first round, maybe even in the second round, you should be taking swings on those kind of skill guys that, you know, aren't going to be there later on in the draft when you can get the third line center, the fourth line winger, the, you know, the, the guy that's going to stick up for his teammates, the shot blocker and penalty killer, like either get those guys in as college free agents, get those guys in the latter rounds, you know, find them in somebody else's minor league system. Those are the guys you really shouldn't be wasting as many draft picks on. And you should be going higher for speed and skill to your point. Uh, and I think every scouting uh, department should be doing that. That shouldn't be just a, a call to action for the Nashville Predators. That should be for everybody, including the Bruins. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what's interesting about it to me is that, you know, that, that people are afraid of, oh, it's going to be a bust. Well, isn't a first round pick who's a third liner, who's a, basically a penalty killing specialist or a fourth liner. Isn't that basically a bust like based no. on where you're drafting that player. And, and I, I, you know, this isn't a shot at anybody in particular, but like don't draft lower ceiling players because it's safe draft high ceiling, especially with high picks, because having a high pick that becomes a bottom six or a third pairing defenseman is basically a bust. So I'd rather take you, take that chance on the high ceiling winger with the speed and the skill you know, yep. if it gets you closer to a Stanley Cup. And I just think that this playoffs has been a slap in the face in a lot of regards to where the game is trending speed-wise. And the only caveat I guess I would have to that is, like, if it's a Tom Wilson-type player of course, that yeah. you could get in the first round that's a big, strong, mean, sort of power forward type, but there's not a lot of those guys left. Like, unicorns. if you can get that kind the of a unicorns. guy. <laughs> yes. If you can get that kind of a guy in the first round, you'd think he's going to be a pretty good offensive player. I think you got to shoot for it and try to get the next Milan Lucic, Tom Wilson, you know, that kind of guy. But it, like, that's one of the few exceptions I would make. And even if he does turn out to be a fourth line banger that like will fight, like whatever, that's, you know, you, you took a shot at least to try to trying to bag the unicorn. As Ty said, exactly. you exactly. know, you, you got to do that when you can. All right, let's play some Mythbusters with 98.5's Ty Anderson. Um, some stuff that we've just heard or that's been out there. Uh, Hampus Lindholm on the trade block with the Bruins really wanting Dmitry Orlov instead. Was it, I think the start this originated with Jimmy Stewart, if I remember yes. correctly, 98 yes. 5. Um, your thoughts just on that sort of line of thinking? Yeah, I mean, truthfully, I don't see it. I, I and I say that mainly because there's so much left side uncertainty. And then yep. you look at sort of the DNA of both players. Dmitry Orlov loved his game but he's five foot 11. He's 31 years old. Those players tend to not age well, you know, in terms of giving them seven, eight year deals. Whereas Hampus Lindholm, six foot four, basically, you know, he played on one foot for the playoffs. You know, it's interesting that he told Sweden that his foot was broken. Cause I asked him, Hey, how's the foot feeling? And he I was know. like, it's fine. It's fine. Well, clearly not, you know, and it was obvious that it wasn't right. And so it's, it felt like he was making an excuse to uh, a detour to excuse town on the train back to Sweden though. You know, yes. he was, he was trying to find a reason for why he didn't play as well as he did. Cause like he was playing huge minutes and he was playing all the games down the stretch going into the playoffs, you know? And it was annoying because you saw him walking in the arenas with a walking boot on. And <laughs> yes. you're like, why is this guy playing? You have a, a, a first place lead by 30 something points. Why is he playing yeah. right now? You don't need to be doing this. No. And sure enough, it, you know, I, and I think honestly, Joe, I think just it like Patrice Bergeron didn't need to be playing in Montreal in game 82 either. Yeah, it's like at least that I can understand beyond the, the you know, the yes, the, to a degree. You know, yes, it goes beyond the surface, right? Yes, um, 100%. But I, I think, Joe, I think that 
I think that Lindholm re-injured the foot late in the year. There was a game late in the year against, I think, Washington, the second-to-last home game, or the second-to-last game of the season, the last home yeah. game, where there was a final second shot from Washington that hit him in the foot, and he was wincing. He was wincing right away, and he was – and I was like, he just, he just re-injured that foot. And sure enough, you know, didn't have a great postseason, but – no, he's what? So this is going to be his second year of his new contract. He has a full no movement clause. Even if they want to move him, is he going to say, yeah, I'm ready to go? I mean, he basically engineered a move to come here. Does he yep. really want to leave already after one year? So I don't see this one happening personally for a variety of reasons, but mainly because I think that the ceiling of Lindholm is still higher than the ceiling of Orlov, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think this one, I agree with you. I think this is false. I, I'm not buying this one either. Uh, and for, for a couple of different reasons, they invested in Hampus Lindholm, right? They put a lot of money in him. He's got control of where he's going to go. It would, it, it, it looks bad for all parties. If they, you know, cut bait two years into a deal where they made a commitment to this guy, no question about it. But I also, you know, want to see, I think we haven't seen enough of him in the playoffs to label him a guy that can't play in the playoffs or a guy that isn't up to the pressure or whatever, or he gets dinged up in the playoff. I think we need to see at least one more playoff out of him, a full season and a playoff before we start to make any snap decisions about who he is as a player. You know, he had too many games of playoff experience in Anaheim, I think to be a guy that all of a sudden just isn't performing well under playoff pressure. And he's had some bad luck with getting dinged up. He got obviously walloped against Carolina a couple of years ago. And now he had a foot issue here that was definitely bothering him to some degree. So I, I would want to see one more playoff out of him before we start to really make an evaluation of him as a player, both regular season and postseason and I also think even if he turns into a player that's not as good in the playoffs as he is during the regular season for whatever reason he showed this year during the regular season that he is somebody to build around on the back end that will get them to the playoffs you know even if he turns into an average player when it gets to playoff time he's outstanding during the regular season he's he stays he's fairly durable he plays 25 minutes a night he's you know the right age right now the right price, certainly, for what he gives you. Plays in all situations. Has teamed really well with Charlie McAvoy to be effective. And really, with your center's a question mark on the roster now, you know, for now and, and moving forward a bit, especially the high-end ones, this is what you build around as a team. I think those two defensemen at the top of the back end give you something to build your entire team around and kind of give you the backbone of that roster, even if you have to work things out at center for a couple of years. And I think those two combined with the goaltending they have and some of the other players they have will keep them in the playoff mix when if they put the right players around them because they're that good. And I just don't think you can move away from that guy because of his value to you in the regular season regardless of what he turns into in the playoffs. And, you know, we'll see what happens there. And, and to your point about Orlov, I just, at his point, 31, he's going to be a free agent. This is his time to cash in. He's going to want to take the biggest deal he can get out there. The Bruins aren't going to be looking to pay him huge money. He's going to want to get big money from wherever he goes. And, you know, coming off a really good playoff and a solid career with Washington, maybe he gets it somewhere with a team that's desperate for a defenseman and thinks of his him as a number one and a number two. But I, I just don't see for all those factors involved – uh, this thing working out uh, with the Bruins and Orlov. I, I just think they've invested too much in Lindholm. They're going to keep him. Um, okay, next one. Jeremy Swayman for Shane Wright. I, I don't know where this came from. I, I just saw it somewhere out there, and I thought it was interesting. Um, 
uh, obviously uh, you hear whispers or you hear murmurs on the trade uh, discussions that are on social media and like wherever that, you know, Shane Wright and the Bruins are starting to be like sort of casually linked together. Uh, any thoughts on that, either if you've heard it or if, what you think about it, either part of the move, uh, what do you got? So I haven't heard this. Uh, what I would say on the flip side, though, is that Ron Francis doesn't trade players like he doesn't do that for the most yep. part. You look at his career as a GM. He's rarely, if ever, traded the player for a player. So that would be really interesting that he's going to say, I'm going to trade a player for a player. Oh, and it's going to be one of our first, you know, it's going to be one of our first picks ever. Yeah, and, and our, number, our number four overall pick from last year. Yeah. Yeah. And so that'd be really interesting. You know, I, I think it's, I, I think with Swayman, I, I do think there's an element of us talking in, in too much of a definite tone of, of who he is and what he's going to be, because, you know, I like him a lot. But we've seen him now for, what, six six playoff games, five playoff games, whatever it is. You know, he got the final uh, five games of last year and he got game seven this year. Game seven this year, not a great one-game sample to judge him on, I know. But we still don't don't know, though, if he's like an ice in his veins playoff guy. He's going to lead the charge. Like, we don't know yet, right? So there is that element of, like, what what has greater trade value, Jeremy Swayman or Linus Allmark? And where do you want to go with that, right? Like, I think that's a legit discussion. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's Shane Wright, though. I mean, that'd be that'd be wild to me if they could pull that off. But um, I have to say myth only because I can't see the Kraken giving up on Shane Wright right now for a goalie. That's a volatile position to, to basically give away what could be a franchise center if all if all pans out right. Yeah. And, and look, I, I understand why the, the link would be made with the Bruins because that's a young center that was a high first round pick that has, you know, really good pedigree. And, you know, I even liked him giving the Canadians the death stare when they passed them over on the, at, at the, the draft uh, stage at the NHL draft a couple of years ago when they took Slavskovsky instead. I, I like that attitude that he had where you just like, look at him, like I'm going to make an entire career out of trying to make you look bad. You know, that, that told me something about him that I didn't mind. Uh, but I, you know, the, the one part of it is like you are going to have to trade, I think, from areas where you have excess or you have multiples. And obviously the goaltending area is an area with the Boston Bruins where they, they've got two very good goalies. They're starting to they're going to have to start paying more um, to, if they want to keep both of them together. You know, to a level probably uh, combined, it's probably going to start approaching what they were paying like Halak and Rask when they were together, you know, and yeah. that's a lot of money to give up uh, for goalies or to devote to goalies on, on a salary cap. Um, so you've got to kind of make a decision there. And uh, but with Swayman, uh, you're right. The jury is out on what he is as a player and if he's going to be a true, you know, 60 plus game number one guy that can be lights out in the playoffs that's going to get hot and, you know, lead you to the promised land. Like, is he going to be that guy or is he a guy that constantly needs to be sort of a one A or one B with a strong partner? Um, and yeah, it's just his attitude is, is different for a goalie too, you know, during warmups he's, and I love this about him. He's out there taking selfies with fans and warmups like during games. And he's just a very different sort of approach than, some other goalies you see where they won't even talk to anybody on the day that they start, you know, or the day that they're playing, you know, that intensity level or the way he approaches it is much different. And you do wonder how that's going to translate if the, you know, playoff pressure got amped up or if he was the only guy and all the weight was on his shoulders. But I, you know, all I can tell you is what I've seen and ability level wise, I think it's all there. You know, I, I think he has the tools he has the the techniques have started getting better. He had to go down to Providence, work on rebound control and some other things. 
But like, I remember still the first time I saw him in training camp a couple of years ago when, you know, it was his first full year and how much he stood out just during drills as a goalie where you didn't really notice goalies that much in drills like that. He was just so sharp and athletic and, you know, everything he did, you really noticed uh, in a way you don't with others. And especially for a young goalie that was just coming out of college. So I, you know, I would be very, very hesitant if I were the Bruins to give up on a player like that, that I think they believe in a lot. I think they, they feel like he is going to be a number one. And I think they feel like he does have, you know, the ceiling is vast as far as his potential goes. I would be very hesitant to give up on a player like that, that you think might have the potential to be that number one guy, that stud goaltender, you know, for his entire career, especially after you drafted and developed him, you know, and if you're Don Sweeney, if you're the Bruins front office, are you going to be really anxious to trade a guy that you can brag about forever as, as being the guy that you turned into this amazing goalie that, that helped you win the Stanley cup? Like that's part of the equation too, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I, and it reminds me too of, uh, you know, I, I, I was watching the 2017 NHL draft with Charlie McAvoy, the first round I was doing a story on him and the Bruins picked at, I want to say what 16 or 17. And yep. I said to McAvoy, I, I said, who, who do you think they should get here? And he goes, well, I would love Jake Ottinger. Jake Ottinger, they didn't go. They went with Eurovac and Island instead. Yeah. They later flipped to get Hampus Lindholm. We all know, but yep. you know, Ottinger was in that draft goes a few picks later, but you get a steal with Jeremy Swayman in round four. So to, to, to give up on that, you know, when you could have had the guy who was in your backyard, basically playing, you know, like that, that's, that would be another kind of interesting move or interesting loss on the draft board for Don Sweeney. Uh, so I, I do think that, yeah, they should try to keep Swayman. And it's kind of similar to the conversation that we were having about the back end, right? That if you don't have high end centers, you remain competitive by having great goaltending and great defensemen. If you got two great goaltenders, I think you have to try to trim along, you know, the fat everywhere besides goaltender for as long as you can. I think if you're the Bruins, when it comes to this offseason. So we're moving on uh, before we talk about the rumor mill, before we play Mythbusters, with some of these trade rumors. I do want to talk about our friends at Factor Meals, America's number one ready to eat meal kit. Uh, this is something uh, that is two minutes to make. Uh, there's all kinds of different options. If you're like me and you know, your son is playing uh, six different sports here in the spring and you're chasing around in lacrosse fields, baseball fields. He's playing spring hockey. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, we don't have the time to like sit down and cook. And a lot of times we don't have the time to go out and eat. Uh, so we have factor meals, which uh, there's calorie conscious options ahead of the summer. There's delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals at or less than 550 calories per serving. They have vegan. They have protein plus. Uh, they have all kinds of options. So my wife that wants to have the healthy option can order that. And if I want to just have like, you know, some bolognese, they can throw that my way or some other kind of meal. And if I want to carb up, uh, so like and they have stuff for the kids like as well. So it's one of those things. Uh, they also are environmentally conscious. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door. Uh, the source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites. So this is a company that you can feel good about investing some money in if you want that uh, ready to make meal kit, America's number one ready to eat meal kit, uh, Factor Meals. So head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code hags50 at factormeals.com slash hags50 to get 50% off your first box. You can't beat that. Uh, for a meal that's made in two minutes that's delicious and healthy. So thank you, Factor Meal. All right, now back to this. You mentioned the goaltending. You'd be loath to move any of the goaltending because you think that's an area 
to build around. Uh, Linus Ulmark has been mentioned a lot as a potential trade guy. And, and really, from my perspective, if you're going to trade one of the goalies, I, it would be Ulmark for me. Um, $5 million is, is fairly good cap hit for a player that's probably going to win the Vesna Trophy this year. His value, even though the playoffs were rough for him, is going to be high up there if he wins the Vesna. You know, I, I think people are going to look at the regular season, especially if it's a team that does not have good goaltending right now, and say that guy is going to come in and improve our standing right away. So if you are looking for areas uh, to save money on the salary cap, especially if you want to boost up the center position or the forward position, I, I really feel like Allmark's a guy you have to look at. And we've seen him mention a lot of trade rumors. What do you think about Allmark getting moved instead of Swayman if you were to move a goalie? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you have to give it some consideration, right? I think you you have to listen to everybody in, in yep. the summer. But I think especially the value will never be higher than it is right now for Linus Allmark. You know, you mentioned he's going to win the Vezina most likely. Um, he already won the Jennings Trophy. Uh, he'll probably be all NHL, you know, all-star team. Yep. You know, you look at it and he really is a guy who might just be sell high, right? And he's another one. We don't know the playoff resume, you know, what it's going to be like. I thought he had some great games, but other games when he's bad, he's real bad, right? Yep. And so he does have a, a, a no move that becomes a modified no trade in the offseason. I'd be very curious to know what his teams are in terms of where he'd go. Is he crafty about it? Or is I can he tell like, you Buffalo's not on there. <laughs> right. Right. We know Buffalo's not on, but is he crafty? Is he like, all right, I'll wait to go to uh Toronto. I mean, I'm sorry. I'll wait to go to Tampa Bay and Dallas, you know, right. two teams that, you know, don't need goaltending help. Right. So, or is he more open to it? So we know some teams are going to be looking for goaltenders, right? We know Edmonton probably needs an upgrade over what they have right now. It doesn't look like it's going to work. LA is a team that I think, is a goalie away from being a legitimate Stanley cup contender, but can they do it after re-signing Vladislav Gavrikov? That's a legit question now. Yep. Um, we know Ottawa is looking for a goaltender as well, but do the Bruins want to trade the Vezina goaltender within their division, a team that they may be battling against next year, you know, based on what they may or may not lose. So it's really interesting. Um, I would do it. If I can get a first round pick, if I can get a first round pick, or a second and a first, you know, they have, they don't have a second round pick for the next, what, three years. They don't have a first round pick for the next two. Uh, you got to get some picks back in the system here. So I would, I would make that trade if I can get a first round pick or a bevy, you know, of, of two seconds uh, and, a, and a good player, perhaps. So it, it would take a lot, but I need to replenish the system a little bit if I'm trading Linus Olmark. Yeah, if, if I'm going to trade him, I don't know, like, how much of a treasure trove you're going to get a picks because it's always difficult to gauge goalie value on the trade market they don't know they never yield as much trade wise as you think they're going to especially you when Aiden hill is going to win a stanley cup <laughs> exactly so like yes it continues to perpetuate the notion out there that you can just pick a guy off the street you know from the street hockey game that's going on around the corner and he's going to be able to come in and do the job for you or the the zamboni driver in uh toronto for the marlies um so like that part of it i i wonder how much they're actually going to be able to get for him in value of course they're going to get some good assets because if he's a Vezina trophy winning goal, you're going to get something for that. And they definitely need to replenish first round, second round picks for the next two, three years. There's no question about that. But like, what if you, um, what, let's just say hypothetically Bergeron and Krejci are both moving on. What if you're getting like a $5 million um, a year center that, that you feel very comfortable about could be a number one center for you, you know, and, and step into that breach. I mean, I, and maybe you get a draft pick too. Like that might be something I would have to seriously consider or at least think about. Yeah, definitely. It, it all depends who that player is and what kind of yeah. game he, what kind of game he has, you know, like, like for example, like 
I love Elias Lindholm. If you can get me a center like that over a center like Ryan Eugene Hopkins, I'll do that every day of the week. I don't, I don't want a Nugent Hopkins personally. I just don't, I look at the numbers. I see what he does when he's playing with McDavid and drives out on the power play. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think I want to give the keys to the franchise to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but if it's more of a two-way guy, a guy more, more along the build of a Bergeron, you know, a Lindholm, I look at Minnesota, Joel Erickson, like if you can get one of those kind of players prototype wise, I'm in, I'm in. It's just, it's just a matter of, I, I want, I want 200 foot over empty calorie point totals. If that makes sense. I think when it comes to who I want to bring in, you know, at that center position. Speaking of empty calorie point totals, do you view Tyler Bertuzzi as an empty calorie point total kind of guy, or do you view him as somebody that, you know, showed some things down the stretch and especially during the playoffs that would be worth it? You know, the number, I forget where I did do not remember where I saw this attributed, but uh, somewhere. And I had mentioned on the podcast last week, I thought he was going to come in somewhere between five and $6 million a year when, when all is said and done on his next contract. And I think it was 5.25 that I saw written somewhere uh, for a potential extension for him. Would that be a deal that you could, would want to do to keep Tyler Pertuzzi with the Bruins? Do you think he's a priority uh, as far as retaining anything under six? I'm doing. I'm doing, I I think that's kind of how you have to look at it. And then you figure out what you're going to trim where you trim it because you know, that playoff production, that kind of guy, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a, cause how many times Joe, did we sit here, you know, just in general talking about, Oh, they could have used more from this player or that player. Imagine if they had another winger who could score a goal in the playoffs. Like, and now you got one, you got one. It looks like you found a guy who is a legit playoff performer, both yep. here in Boston and his lone AHL run with Grand Rapids, he yep. was a top flight producer. He led his team in, in goals and points both times. So you got to keep those guys around if they fall into your lap. And I think it's especially telling, you know, they traded a first round pick. Don Sweeney rarely, if ever, has parted with a first round pick for a player he didn't want to keep or did keep around the following yep. year. So, you know, I think I Rick Nash, he wanted to keep around, but he retired. Correct. You know, I was so, just going to say the same thing. Correct. He wanted Rick Nash to stay, but the concussions didn't make it happen. Yeah. So you look at it from that standpoint, you go, yeah, they should try to move mountains to keep him. The one concern I have, his defensive game is so bad. It is yeah. so bad. But but you live with that. You know, like you're not every player is not going to be Bergeron. Right. And so you find a way to maybe grow him in an offensive only role. Or you basically say, hey, we're going to put you with these guys and we hope that you you know, by osmosis here, you become a better defensive player, but that production, you know, his, his goal totals that I think he could get with the Bruins playing with Zaka and Pasternak. Like I like where that's going. So I want to do everything I can to keep that if I'm the Bruins. No, I'm willing to live with any defensive deficiencies that he has because the playoff performance, the net front presence on the power play, he is a weapon in front of the net. He just like, he looks like a net front guy. You know, oh, yeah. everything about him says net front, like grimy. I go to the dirty areas of the ice and I find a way to get the puck kind of guy. He just looks like that guy, you know, and he plays like that guy. So I think those things combined with what we saw chemistry wise with David Pasternak, Bertuzzi and Pasternak had excellent chemistry. Was he awesome. was setting up Pasternak for goals all over the place. And they seem to really be on the same page about creating things offensively. I think if you're the Bruins and you have Pasternak signed for the next eight years, you can't walk away from players that you can build around him that are just going to keep him uh, at a 60 goal level, you know, 50 to 60 goals a year, because that's another thing you're going to need 
if other, you know, centers and other players are moving on is you're going to need Pasternak to keep his production at that level as you sort of build pieces around them as well to keep you a, a playoff team and keep you a viable contender. So like, I, I think there's just way too many assets and upsides uh, to Bertuzzi for like some fancy stats about his defensive abilities or, you know, the fact that he was a minus player in the playoffs when everybody was almost a minus player in the Bruins, you know, defensive deficiencies in game seven, when he was playing with Patrice Bergeron, who's trying to heroically battle through a back injury and clearly was not, you know, his usual self at hundred percent. So that whole line wasn't as effective as they normally are. Like I view all that stuff in its proper perspective and say that guy does way too many things for you and just feels like a Bruins player, especially if he's coming in at a little over 5 million, he makes tons of sense. Yeah. And the other part of it too, is that like, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier, but if the game is going to trend away from winning games, two to one, three to two. Yep. You had to win games five to four. Okay. Well now you don't care about the defensive issues as much because you're going to say, well, they're going to make a defensive miscue as well. And then we're going to have the guys that can score the goals. Right. So, you know, I, I, I do want to, I do want to see them, you know, make this happen. I, I think that I go back to last year where their second line was Taylor Hall, Eric Halla, and David Pasternak. If your second line is Tyler Bertuzzi, Pavel Zaka, David Pasternak, it's a better second line. You're a better team. You will constantly yes. be in the playoff mix. They looked great, uh, you know, and I don't know that I'd go through a whole season, obviously, with Charlie Coyle and Zaka as your top two centers if Krejci and Bergeron move on. But they were getting the job done in the first, you know, in the middle part of that playoff series against the Florida Panthers. And I would definitely heed some uh, peace of mind and heed some attention towards what we saw in games three and four, where they looked effective and they looked like all of those pieces could work together um, against a good team. You know, I'd be curious to see if if some of those pieces stayed together next year, how it would go. I, I'd still be sort of vying or aiming for, you know, a, num- a true number one center, whether you draft him or, you know, find him somewhere or make a big trade. But like, I-, I think they showed you enough to feel okay about potentially starting next year in some kind of form or fashion with that. Um, speaking of next year again, and this is more sort of an open-ended one. Um, there-, there could be a lot of candidates among the defensemen for who you're going to trade. Um you could go a lot of different directions. Different players are going to have different values. Is there any one defenseman you look at uh, and say, this is the guy I would probably move from a surplus that they have right now. It's, it, I think it's obvious to everybody that at least one or two defensemen are going to have to move here before the season starts to clear off cap space. Yeah. I think the obvious one is, is Mike Riley. We know that yes. that is going to happen buyout or trade. The buyout's actually not that bad. It clears up 2.6 million, I believe in space uh, for them. So that's going to probably happen this year. Only um, bad if you're the Delaware North. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pick it up the tab. You know, it's interesting because I, I, I do think that, you know, Matt Gris, like the way that he was utilized in the playoffs was really bizarre. He was a scratch. Yeah. He came in, he played about 13, 14 minutes, scratch again. You know, it, like, so that leads me to believe, okay, well, if you're not going to play him, trade him. Like, you're paying him $3.6 million. He's the most yep. expensive out of the options that we're looking at probably on the back end in terms of guys you'd move. I think it was telling that the Bruins mentioned Brandon Carlo, Hampus Lindholm, and Charlie McAvoy as part of their core. So I don't think those three guys are on the block. But Grizzlick, Forbert, Riley, even Zaboral, $1.1 million is probably too expensive for a guy who plays once every eight weeks. So you look at that way and you're like, okay, well, if you're not going to play Grizzly, he's the, most, he's the most expensive out of that grouping. So you trade him and you get some value for him while you can. Um, it, it, but it's also interesting because I think he kind of he kind of blends in your lineup the best as well. Like Forbert can't play top pairing, right? right. 
he can't play second pairing if it's with, if it's with Brandon Carlo either. It's not mobile. No, no, no. So he's the most limited. So you look at it that way. I do lean forward, but if you're not going to play Matt Grizzly, like 3.6 million is too much money to have a, a guy who's not going to play when it matters the most. I think it's going to be Grizzly because I think the Bruins have made some determination that teams like Tampa that have won the cup in the past Vegas this year, you need defensemen that are all six, one, six, two, six, three, you know, you need big defensemen that can't get exploited defensively. And, you know, Matt Grizzly has a good stick. Uh, obviously he has some good defensive instincts. He kills plays before they get in the zone, you know, uses his speed and his stick uh, to play defensively. But I do think you're still able to take advantage of a player like that around the net when the puck does get in their zone, especially during the playoffs. And I think it just makes you more vulnerable as a team. And I, that probably went into part of the thinking of him not playing at times during that playoff series against Florida when clearly they did need him uh, and, and they put him into the lineup. And then that disastrous game six where they took him out again and put Connor Clifton in, it was clearly the wrong choice. Um, you know, I think they will to some degree, if they do trade him, miss his puck moving and his abilities to get it out of the zone really quickly and creatively. Uh, but, you know, that's also going to make him valuable with his cap hit and what he can do. And the fact he could be top four on a team that, you know, doesn't have quite the defenseman core that the Bruins have as far as their depth goes. I, I think that will be the guy for all of those reasons, because they will get some value in return. And, you know, to your point, playing the lower minutes, not playing some of the playoff games, uh, maybe this coach doesn't, you know, isn't on the same wavelength with Grizzly like Cassidy and Grizzly seem to. There was a lot more trust there between those two. And I'm not sure there was the same level of trust with this coaching staff and the player based on, you know, usage in, in the playoffs and, and where he was at. So it was really think, weird. That was really yeah. weird to me because Gruden coached him with the U.S. development team back when he was a teenager. Right. Like they had that experience. And Jim Montgomery was, like, was basically saying we're going to open things up. But he's sitting for Derek Forbert, who was on the ice for it felt like nine of the final 12 goals that I know. Florida scored in that series. And you were sitting there going, what, what the hell is going on right now? None of this makes any sense to me. So, yeah, yeah. like, no, to your point, like, if you're not going to trust him, don't don't keep him here and waste his time and waste the cap space. Do something with it. Yeah, for, forward is what he is, right? He's he's a penalty killer. He's a shot blocker. He's a tough guy. He's got a, he's got a dog that and everybody you know loves that story. Like it, he, he's a funny guy. Like it, it, he, I think fits because he's very limited in what he can do, and he's kind of got a niche here, and he does those things well. And and you need guys like that. You know, you need that one of those guys on your bottom your bottom pairing that can do all of those things. You know, and, and and I think for those reasons, you keep him until you can find a better player. If you can find a younger player that can do all of that stuff as effectively, of course, you're going to replace him with the cheaper, younger version. I just don't think they've found that, have that guy yet uh, to do that. So I think you got to keep him because of the things he brings that, you know, not many of the other defensemen are able to bring or, or that's not in their toolbox like it is with him. Uh, so you, you keep him. Uh, but Grizzlick is the guy that I look at and say that's probably the odd man out. Uh, and, and the one that they're going to move. Um, one more for you. Um, any sort of insight or anything that you uh, can piece together about Bergeron and Krejci and their future? Or what? Wh let me put it to you this way: what What was your gut instinct right when the season ended? Has it changed since the season ended as to what you think they're going to do and sort of where you were at with them and whatever decisions they're going to make? Yeah. Uh, so. Based on breakup day, I, I think Krejci's gone. I, yeah. I think I think he's kind of he's had his fill. This was a one and done kind of thing. Uh, the fact that his family didn't come with him back to Boston, I thought was kind of telling. Oh yeah. Um, 
So, so I think that I think that he's a one and done. Bergeron, I think, is still too good. I think he's still too good of a player to, to walk away. And I thought it was interesting that back in November, too good of a leader too, too good of a leader. Like that right. whole that whole dynamic, the whole the Boston Bruins as a whole are gonna like drastically dynamically change when he is gone. It's gonna be like a whole different thing when he is gone. And I oh, just yeah. don't think any party is ready for that yet. And it's to to his credit as a leader, as a performer, like everything. Like he's such a big influence in a good way that you want him to, if you're the Bruins, continue to play for as long as he possibly can. Yeah, and I thought it was telling. He had that interview with Elliot Friedman back in November where basically Elliot was saying, is this it for you? And he goes, no, I'll know. He's like, he's like, my body will know. And and I think that for the most part, he gets the, the, the back issue late in the year, but he was healthy. For 81 games, he was healthy. And, and yep. that's what's so maddening about it all, I know. But, you know, I, I think that they found a way to maximize his on-ice contributions now. You look at the way they utilized him this year. He wasn't the first guy out on the PK every time. That was Coyle yep. and Nosek. Yep. You know, they, they're finding ways to extend him, right, and to, to, to fend off Father Time for as long as they can because they know it's going to come. Bergeron knows it's going to come, but I just think he's still too good. He's still too good. And and I do think, you know, let, let's, let me put on my marketing hat for a second. Centennial, Centennial. Season, yes, 20 years with the Bruins. Yes, get to watch Brad Marchand hit a thousand games next year. If Brad Marchand is healthy for the majority of next year, yes, I think there's a lot of value there for him. Centennial season captain, 20 years with the Bruins, seeing his best friend and line mate hit a thousand games. So I think he's back next year. No, I'm with you, Ty. I'd be very surprised if Patrice Bergeron is not presiding as the esteemed captain for the centennial season of the Boston Bruins with so many like cool things in store for the organization and for him like to be such a great representative of the organization. Like it is in everybody's best interest uh, for him to come back for the team to have him back. He's still, he's probably going to win the Selkie again this year and continue to like pile up the NHL record for, you know, for, for being the best two-way center of his generation. Like I, I think it makes too much sense. They'll figure it out. And it the, the question just comes down to how good of a team are they going to be able to build around him? You know, and, and obviously it's not going to be as good as last year because there's, you know, some Stanley Cup ramifications. I, I think trying to recreate exactly what they had this past season is going to be difficult just from a depth standpoint and everything else. But you're still talking about an extremely good team that's going to have a, make the playoffs and have a very good chance if he does come back for this 20th season. Yeah, they're still a playoff team. I, I, I think that if they have a dip next year, it's going to be what you saw two years ago. They're going to be a wild card team. And that yep. as we're learning might not be the worst thing in the world. It might not yep. be the worst thing to play some meaningful games in March and April, have to fight your way in and you're in playoff shape and ready to go while every other team, while the team you're playing in round one, maybe took the few final few weeks of the season off because they were so comfortable, right? Like, so just get in, you have a chance. I think this league more than any other league you get in, you have a chance. So I, I do think they're still a playoff team based on their core and, and, you know, barring them basically blowing it up, right? Like, I think, I Joe, I, I'm curious how you feel about this because I feel like this is Don Sweeney's chance at 2015 all over again where he's got to make some some tough calls, but if he can maximize them, the window is still open for them. It's just oh, about, yeah. it's about, it's about maximizing what you're trading, how you're managing the cap, who you're bringing in and what you do from there. And, Keep in mind when 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 they had that 2015 season, you know this. They they were in the playoffs all the way until the final day of the regular season that year, right? So like yep. they're not. I, I think the idea of them going into a a semi rebuild or a retool, I think it's like it's it's a bit 
it's a bit of hyperbole. Like, I don't think they're going to be like that. I think they're still going to be a contender. It's just a matter of what level of contender they are. Well, and it's hyperbole that people bought into at the beginning of this past season. You know, everybody had extremely low thoughts and low expectations for that team going into this year because that that was there was a lot of talk of that then. It seems like this happens every year now where there's hyperbole with the Bruins about like, you know, are they going to start to have to rebuild now? Is the window closed? Like all these things. And it gains more and more momentum and people start to really believe that that's what the case is with the team where then they go out there and they start winning games. And you're like, wait a minute, this is not where we are right now. And I I think that speaks to what Don Sweeney has done. Look, he still gets a bad rap for 2015. No question about it. And some of the things that happened at the very beginning of his stewardship as the GM of the Boston Bruins, but I think he's turned into one of the NHL's best general managers. And Mm -hmm. I, I think he shows it with the moves that he makes. He crushes the trade deadline way more than he does. You know, they make big moves at the deadline, good moves. And they make moves where they have players that they want to bring in and keep, you know, uh, some of the free agent signings that even I didn't understand at the time, the Linus Elmerich one, I did not like at the time, but it ended up working out really well, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he has value now if they want to trade him, he looks like he's coming off a Vezina trophy season. Like they've, and the, the bargain basement players that he brings in, he's done a really good job with that. Like a lot of the fourth line guys that come through here have really good tenures uh, when they're in Boston. And, you know, even, the coaching move he made worked during the regular season when that was the most controversial move I think that he's made in the last few years. So like I, I have confidence in Don Sweeney that he's going to be able to pull some things off with Evan Gold and the rest of his management group uh, to get things uh, continuing on, you know, and them to be a contender and for the window to get extended here. I, I think they're going to be able to pull some things off and potentially get Bergeron back and make it all work again next year and the year beyond um, based on the players they have signed now, based on the talent that they have now, and I think their ability to be flexible with the cap and to make moves, um, both shrewd and you know splashy. Like I, 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 there's a lot of people that I think are critical of Don Sweeney, and I, I was at the very beginning, but I think there was a learning curve for him, and I think he's figured it out. And you know, to to as well as a G- GM can in the NHL, and, and that's going to keep them in a contender status for a while. Yeah, I, I 100%. And it's funny to think that we're talking about him this way now, right? Like, because I, yeah. I think that as of last year, you know, we still didn't know he was going to be back next uh, last year at this time. He was he was a lame duck GM entering, didn't have a contract. You're like, okay, what's what's going to happen here? You know, especially with the whole Cassie situation uh, and whatnot. And so what I think is really interesting is that they basically have one year of pain. And how can you manage that? You know, I was talking to some people yeah. who, would, who would know. And they were saying that their their belief is that the cap is going to explode in two yes. years. It's going to go up $10 million. So you're talking Gary about Bettman, one year of pain. Yeah, Gary Bettman said as much uh, at, the, at during game one. And he, he said, like, it's going to go up exponentially in a couple of yeah. years. Ne- next year at this time, it's going to start really going. It's only going to go up a million next this pe- coming season. But the mm. year after that, it's going to go up significantly. So that's yeah. They're thinking about 93 million from what yes. I, from, from what I heard, like, and, and I was like, really, it kind of screws over the players who are free agents this year, yes. but y- you yeah. know, you think about it and sign one year deals like Taylor Hall and Buffalo. Right. Right. Yeah, do that. Right. Why not? You know, it, <laughs> that might be the right move for a lot of these guys. Maybe that's the bargaining chip that Sweeney has. He's like, Hey guys, one more run. Everyone takes league minimum. One more <laughs> run, <laughs> you know, get everyone to buy in for one final, final run. Uh, but, hey, but I no, would take me if I were him, I would take Milan Lucic as a 13th forward for the, the veteran minimum to come here. Yeah, you run with the rest of those guys. You've been on this one for a little while now. I, I would and, do that. And I think it's 
I think it's a good idea. I really yeah. do. I like, like, okay, you're bringing him back. Now you're now you're bringing in like the element of of physicality of a guy who is going to make people answer. You know, like he's like for for what he's lacked in the scoring department, he still remains one of the game's top heavyweights. And, yes. and so I kind of like that idea. I really do. I think it's a better role for him than say Nick Felino, who love him. Yeah. He's willing, but he's not a Milan Lucic in terms of uh, you know the punch he can bring. And bringing him back for the centennial season again, it makes all kinds of sense. I think it's, uh, it does. It's poetry. And uh, seventeen will be available. <laughs> Look at this. That's right. Unbelievable. Open Unbelievable. it up for him. Uh, I would like to see sixty-two back though. Give me sixty-two, Lucic. That'd be fun for a year. I don't yeah, know. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> yeah, give him this number that he had for like the first three games of the season. Yeah. When he's beating uh, up Nick Nick Tarnaski. <laughs> that's right. Uh, in the final few minutes, let's thank our sponsors one more time. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, you can go there and get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. Uh, you get one thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Fanduel.com/slash/Boston uh, and get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars. So go check that out. And also Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I was singing its praises earlier in the show. You can head over to FactorMeals.com/slash/Hags50 and use code Hags50 H-A-G-G-S50. To get 50% off, that's a great deal on your first box. That's code HAGS50 at factormeals.com slash HAGS50 to get 50% off your first box. Ty Anderson, thank you very much for joining Pucks with HAGS. We'll do this again maybe a month from now, a few weeks from now. We'll, we'll see when it happens, but I want to talk hockey again, man. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll do. I love this. It's always fun. It's always nice to see you when uh, it's not a game. It's always a nice treat, so we'll have to do this again. And you get to see the Star Wars poster in the background. That's, That's right. Cool. That's right. I got nothing. Uh, I got nothing up here right now, unfortunately. I got to get something. Ninja Turtles or something behind me. <laughs> there you go. Hey, may the force be with you, Ty, and we'll see you at the ring. You as well. <laughs>